welcome to the Healthy Gospel Church podcast, a podcast where we explore all aspects of church life while also shining a spotlight on good practice in your local church. My name is David Meredith, I'm the Mission Director for the Free Church of Scotland based in Edinburgh and I'll be your host. If you like what you hear, then please like, share and subscribe. Spread the news. Again, a very warm welcome to our latest edition of the Healthy Gospel Church podcast, uh, where we just talk about issues about the local church with Christians. We are broadcasting from Scotland, so we've got a little bit of a Scottish perspective, but we are going international today, and my guest is Melissa Kruger. Uh, Melissa is married to Mike. That's perhaps not her primary identity, but she is married to Mike, and Mike helpfully did a podcast with us in the last series about his book, Bully Pulpit. Uh, Melissa is the Vice President of Discipleship Programme for the Gospel Coalition. She also blogs at Wits End, which is an intriguing title. She is an author. Uh, written various books. Um, the one that I know best, but I've not yet read, it's maybe not quite my thing, is uh, The Envy of Eve, Finding Contentment in a Covetous World. But today, uh, she's written lots of books, but one, the one I want to focus on today is Taking Mentoring Beyond Small Talk and Prayer Requests. So we're going to focus today on the issue of mentoring. Melissa, Welcome. It's good to be here. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. Have we covered all the bases or is there anything else we should know about you here? So let's, let's talk. Tell me about your children. Yeah. Tell me about what you're doing, what you're writing just now. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, um, we live in Charlotte, North Carolina, across the pond. Um, and we have three, Mike and I have three great kids. We have a 22-year-old daughter um, who just graduated from university. We have a 19-year-old son, and we have a 16-year-old daughter who's still at home with us. So um, they keep us busy, and I've actually just been working on a book on parenting teens. And um, I love teenagers. I taught high school when um, before I had kids. And so I really loved this season with my kids, um, which I know it has a bad reputation of bad years, but I have found it to be really um, a joyful season with my kids. So I'm super thankful well, that's for tremendous. that. Well, I've got four children and the good news is that they, they kind of get independent around about the age of 40. So, uh, you know, it's, it's good, good, good news ahead. <laughs> Um, Melissa, um, we are broadcasting here from the great fairland of Scotland. Um, Kruger uh, is your married name. Mike's obviously maybe some German heritage. Uh, do you have, please, do you have any Scottish connections whatsoever? I'm sure I do. My grandmother, her last name was Scott. And so my daughter is Catherine Scott Kruger. Um, and so I'm sure there are some in there. But we lived, my first child, my first daughter was born in Edinburgh at the Royal Infirmary. Wow. Um, what was it called? Simpsons Memorial. It's no yeah. longer there, I've heard, in Edinburgh. But that's where she was born. So we have one Scottish birth certificate in the family Um that's my, my yeah 20 22 years 23 years ago this october she was Wonderful. born in so edinburgh what took you guys to edinburgh how long did you live here we lived there um a little over two years it was when mike was my husband was working on his phd and so um we enjoyed our time immensely living in edinburgh we lived right on the mounds at right beside new college and then we lived um down in um, newtown 
yeah, just just really close to to this great mall, location. So it was yeah, a lot of folks think you know that Scotland, the US, quite similar because we kind of speak English, but there's there's lots of differences, aren't there? Did did you find that some good, some bad? Yes, we found lots of good. I mean, I I just love the people. I feel like you know a lot of Scots settled in the South, and so there's actually uh, yeah. I feel like the southern parts of the states and the Scottish t- tend to have yeah a similar um, friendliness, and um, we just loved our time there. It was really really a blessing, and I have to say I loved. Um, clotted cream and you cannot find real clotted cream here in the states like you can find fake stuff but it's not near as good as okay i'll give you grits and you give me clotted cream and we'll be equal okay that's great (laughs) great I love grits too. So Cheese are, grits are, are great. Okay, we we could talk about you know the South all day, but let's talk about mentoring. Um, Melissa, tell us a little bit about mentoring. First of all, how would you describe it? Yeah, and um, the image I like to use is actually a picture of um, two trees growing beside each other. When I was a little girl, I remember my father um, tethering this tree that was bent over, you know, from storms or probably us children playing on it or whatever, and he tethered it to a much older, stronger tree. And I remember asking him why he was doing that, and he was doing it so it would stand straight, so it would grow correctly rather than continue to grow curved, you know, out to the side. And I like that image when we think about mentoring, because all it is is an older believer um, bringing his or her, the the years of walking with the Lord, the years that have allowed that tree to stand firm, um, it's just tethered to a younger tree to help that tree grow rightly. That person's not able to make the younger tree grow. Um, The Lord does that. Yeah, just like the tree grows because the sun and the rain. Um, they're just standing beside and offering their years of of walking with the Lord um, as a stabilizing force as the Lord grows the tree, so to speak. Um, and so that's the image I keep in my mind is just walking alongside someone in the faith, sharing um, what what your experience matched with the deepening um, understanding of Scripture has meant through the years and passing that along to someone else. Okay. Can you tell us, I mean, folk talk about coaching, okay? There's, there's coaching and there's mentoring. There's a, perhaps a subtle or not so subtle difference between the two. Uh, in, in your mind, what's the difference between these two concepts? Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like coaching is usually very directed in a certain area. So it might be your job. It might be, I mean, literally a sport, you know, it could could be something like that. So they're going to be very directed in a particular area. Whereas I feel like mentoring steps back and asks questions of your whole life, um, you know, your whole spiritual life, if we're talking about spiritual mentoring. So that's going to affect, you know, we're not just going to talk about your relationship with the Lord. We're going to talk about, hey, who are you sharing your faith with? How's your relationship with your parents? How's your relationship with your kids? How's your relationship with your spouse if you have one or your roommates or or whatever? Mentoring is going to look at the whole person and say, hey, you know, I notice, um, you know, you have this distance with your parents and it seems to be coming out in how you're parenting now and and trying to put all of those things together as you um, walk alongside someone 
you know, in a, in a spiritual way. So I think it's quite different than coaching, which might be saying, hey, we're going to work on evangelism in your life right now, and we're going to just do that. Whereas I think mentoring is a little bit more broader and focused on the whole person. Maybe it's the difference between a GP, a general practitioner, and a specialist, so to speak. Um, and that's a way to, to yeah, think about absolutely. it. I mean, I'm involved in coaching, and I coach maybe guys, and they'll come to me and say, David, um, I, I want to, I've got contact conflict in, in my leadership help me deal with conflict or someone would say uh, my church is stuck at you know 80 people I want I'd love it to go more you know give me tips on that specific issue so that's, that's a really good answer um you you and I are, are great believers in the power of the local church it's God's great plan for mission it's God's great plan for nurturing believers um why do you think the local church should, should embrace mentoring? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, the, the reality is the whole church is blessed as we pour into one another because the church is each member, you know, as as the body analogy that the scriptures tell us. Um, and so, you know, it really matters that my pinky is doing well or my little toe is doing well. I mean, if you've ever had like, you know, you stub your toe and the whole body hurts. And so if one part of us um, as a body is weak, um, we're all going to feel the effects of that. And so what mentoring does, this walking alongside one another, being mentored and mentoring others, being in this constant state of growth and passing along what you've learned to someone else. I mean, that that's just the model that we see in the early church. That's the model that we see in Jesus's own ministry. You know, he didn't just preach to thousands. He walked day in and day out with 12. And we see, it, it looks like in scripture, an even more intimate relationship with three. Only three were up with him when he was transfigured. You know, so we see this pattern in scripture of life on life discipleship and the impact that that has on the whole world um, is really evident in scripture. And I think that's what we're modeling as, as a church who says, you know, it's not just about preaching to thousands. It's about walking well, one-on-one, day in and day out. Um, because there's something about seeing the gospel lived out in the flesh you can speak the gospel to thousands, but not be living it at all. And so there's something that happens in mentoring and discipleship in an intimate way that we really see the truths of the fruit of the Spirit lived out in a person's life. We see their love, their joy, their peace, their patience, their kindness, their self. You know, we see all of that, and it it actually makes a bigger impression than just hearing, hey, be kind. Um, that's a good thing to say, but it's really impactful yeah. when we see it. Lived. Okay, I mean, there there are cultural differences between the US and the UK. I mean, you've lived in the UK. You can you're kind of bilingual culturally. Um, all, all our extroverts, you know, went to North Carolina. They, they, they all they all went off in a boat. Um, in even a generational thing, Melissa. Do you think this is a generational thing? You know, my worry is that older people find this difficult to embrace, whereas younger people are, are more into it. So if you hold on to that, is it, is it a generational thing? Is it also a gender thing? Do, do you think that, that girls, that, that women are far more into deep and meaningful? If you could address these two things and unpack them, I'd be interested to hear your views. 
Yeah. Well, first of all, on the generational, I think you're absolutely right. I think it used to happen more naturally within community. Um, but we increasingly live in a world where people move far from home. Um, they move, you know, miles away. I mean, for instance, I was having my first baby in a foreign country. So I didn't have my mom close by to say, how do I do this? I didn't have anyone from my growing up life to help me. Um, and so I think we're dealing with a church that rather than generations grew up in this church and people have known you for a long time, and that's almost happening naturally. Um, now it happens a little more, I would say my goal is always formal to informal. Um, and what I mean by that is there, there has to be a way to get to know someone. And that sometimes takes on a little bit more of a formal aspect because you have to ask questions. Hey, how did you come to faith? Um, what's your faith journey look like up till now? So it takes some time to actually move into those places. Um, part of the reason I wrote the book is because I had so many older women who wanted to be involved in younger women's lives, but they had no idea how to do that. And so what I tried to give was not a book about mentoring, but a book that an older woman could actually actually do with a younger woman. And then I hope she'll be like, oh, this isn't so hard. I'm just asking her about basically spiritual disciplines. You know, how's your time in the word? How's your evangelism? How's your service in the church? But, you know, I think we have to kind of be trained to have real spiritual, meaningful conversations. I don't think they happen naturally um, because I don't think we've really been trained well into having them. And so my first thing is I do think it's a little bit generational. But I've heard from both younger women and older women how much they want to be connected. They just don't quite know how to do it. So what I'm trying to provide, what I always say through the book, is the rope that tethers the two together. That's what I'm hoping to do. Say, hey, just try this. Ask these questions um, and help the process along. As far as gender goes, I would say... I think both women and men are in desperate need of it. Um, I think... Women maybe are more naturally relational in general, um, but I know a lot of pastors in particular who who have told me I've never had an older pastor invest in me, and that would mean so much. Um, so I think they're desperately longing for it. They don't know quite how to get it. And um, again, and I'll, I'll let someone else write the book for, for men to do that together, um, but I, I think they desperately long for um, someone to ask those questions for over a long season of life. Because I think in every ministry, you come to a place where you maybe feel like a failure. You Should I move on? And you can't ask the people actually in your congregation that. It'd be really nice to have a mentor outside, you know, someone that's walked with you through years to be able to ask those type questions too. And I think a lot of men are longing for that and they don't have it, but they're um, maybe maybe a little more resistant to their own need for it at sometimes, you know. And so I think um, both genders definitely benefit from it, but I think women are probably more naturally inclined and a lot less go to seminary and a lot less, you know. So they, they might, men might more go that venue to get theologically trained. And so women might be more naturally inclined to find it with someone in their local yeah. church. Do you, are there some folk better at it than others, like natural mentors? And have you found that some folk maybe start off hesitant and they really grow, grow into the experience? Yeah, I would say... Here's what I would say. I always tell people the best mentors are the women or men who, you know, spend a lot of time at the feet of Jesus in the word and in prayer. 
Um, it's not how much they know. I would say it's how long they've walked with Jesus. And um, so it's not always going to be the seminary trained person. It's not always going to be the PhD trained person. It's going to be the person who has a vibrant walk with Jesus. It's going to naturally overflow. Those are the people that everyone's kind of attracted to. Introvert, extrovert, it doesn't really matter. Um, but they're just more the people who have really brought their life before Jesus on a regular basis, who have an intimate connection with him that just naturally spills over to others. And I think you see that. And and so um, I always say, look look for the person in, you know, as you're looking around in your church saying, hey, I know that woman prays a lot. I mean, what a blessing just to have someone pray for you. You know, I mean, so it might just be you sit down and say, hey, can you teach me how to be a person of prayer? Um, it doesn't have to always, it could be on a specific topic, you know, for, for a season and things like that. But I, but I really do find... Um, the closer we are to Christ, the more we want to love His people. And part of loving them is continually telling someone, hey, Jesus is so good. He's worth your whole life. Um, and, and just pointing them constantly. The goal of the mentor is not to say, hey, come be like me. The goal of the mentor is to say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus a little bit more. He's yeah. so much better than you even knew. And it's that constant pushing them toward Jesus. And you think that's all I've got. I mean, I feel like I have nothing in myself to offer these people, but I can tell them a little bit more about Jesus. That yeah. will change their life. And so I think that's that's at the heart of every good it's mentor. It's kind of like, you know, imitate me as I imitate Jesus, and that, that's the whole goal of it, yeah. Okay, you, you, you talk in your book, you use a very specific term, it's spiritual mentoring. Um, what I'm trying to get at, get at here is that, you know, if we have a kind of Reformed worldview... Um, it's bigger than, than the spiritual. Everything is spiritual. So are you just going to be talking about prayer, the Bible, spiritual things, or are you going to be talking about where well, we call them nappies, you call them diapers, are we going to be talking about money, are we going to talk about, you know, guys, you know, or, or is it just real spiritual stuff? Yeah, well, all of those things, as you said, are, are spiritual things. I mean, yeah, I can change. I can change nappies or diapers with a really miserable heart. I can be pretty angry and bitter that this is my lot in life, or I can say, "Wow, I get to serve the Lord through taking care of this little baby today." And those are spiritual attitudes that we're bringing into every bit of our life. I can sweep the floor, angry that the you know people were at my house and messed up my lovely carpet, or I can say, wow, I'm so thankful the Lord takes my stuff and uses it for kingdom work. Um, we can do the same with money. I can begrudge I never have enough, or I can feel overwhelmed with gratitude for what the Lord's given me and want to steward it well. So all of those things um, have spiritual implications. Every attitude of my heart has a spiritual implication. Um, and, and, and so really working on that with someone and walking alongside them and helping them to see that is actually part of mentoring. Yeah. So, I mean, you, what if you see a woman in church and you're really struck, but you don't know the lady, but there's a serenity about her. There's an inherent dignity, a, a warmth, but, you know, she's never done mentoring in her life. Is it appropriate to just ask someone that you you don't really know all that well, maybe you would consider being a mentor? Is that a bridge too far or 
would, would you encourage younger women to get that conversation going? Yeah, I would actually ask her to get tea or coffee or something like that. I would I would start it on a much lower. It's kind of like, you know, someone asking you out for a date and they're like, can we get married? And you're like, can we go on a date first? Um, and so I, I like to I like to say, just ask her for coffee and say, hey, I really noticed. Um, I really you know, enjoy your answers in Bible study. Could we get coffee? And then to the younger woman, I would say, come to the coffee with specific questions. Um, don't expect her to just pour into you because she doesn't know why you're going to coffee. Um, so you, or you might say, hey, I, I really see that your children all seem to love being in your home. Yeah, you, know, you may look at an older woman. You might be a younger mother. And so you, can I, can I ask you some questions about motherhood? Would you be willing to get you know, together with me and I can just ask you, what did you do in your home that makes your kids want to come home or something like that? But come, come prepared for what you want to ask them. Um, and, it, and, and that really helps that mentoring relationship. So it could be, how do you spend time with the Lord in the midst of a busy world? What, what advice would you give? And really seek the advice of the older person, um, don't just expect them to do all the digging and solve your life because they can't do that. Um, it, it, and, and that's the responsibility of both both sets. You know, the younger woman has to be desiring to grow spiritually or mentoring won't work. No one can force you to grow. Um, and so they can't. So they're not a counselor. And, and, and there's a big difference. So I always say if you need professional counseling, please get it. But but mentoring is really different than that. And it's more someone coming alongside, you know, to say, hey, how do we grow spiritually in the faith? And those are very I mean, different I, things. I'm, I'm loving this and it is, it's so helpful and it's applicable, you know, to, to guys as well as, as to girls. That thing about, you know, you approach someone. In fact, if someone is maybe resistant to the jargon and some folks say mentoring is a bit of a jargon word, you don't even need to use the word. You just... You just chat, yeah. That's right. And and you know that idea that that, that idea you had of kind of you know dating. Um, it's an American term, but you you guys always come to a point of DTR when you define the relationship. And, and I guess you know mentoring's going, but it just starts off with with a coffee, and then maybe you, you want to take this further. Maybe you don't even need to mention the M word at all. That's right. I would actually say. It would be good to get a cup of coffees. And then you might say, hey, um, I would love to read uh, this book. It could be a book on prayer. It could be a book, you know, by J.I. Packer on concise theology. It could be, you know, whatever it could be. Would you be willing to read this book and talk it through with me? And then could we get together, you know, once a month and just read this this book together, whatever book it might be that in an area of particular spiritual growth, I think that's really helpful too, you know, because then you say, hey, will you just talk me through this topic? It could be on marriage. It could be on prayer. It could be on a lot of topics. It could be on evangelism. And and just say, would you help me work through these issues? Um, and then it gives a really set time. I'm a big believer yeah, we're going to meet once a month on Friday at 10 a.m. And then we're going to do it until the book's over. And then we're going to say, hey, we've all got lives. So we've got to go on. This isn't a, you're not committed for life. <laughs> but you should, yeah, hopefully it will develop a friendship that you can go back to, um, you know, in but, different seasons. So yeah, that's, would, that's the goal. That was another question I had. Would mentorship last for a set period? Would it be lifelong? 
Um, what do you think? Yeah, I'm a big believer on um, start dates and end dates. And that doesn't mean the friendship starts and ends, but that means, hey, we're going to be committed to this type of like relationship. Um, I was informally mentored through high school by a, a teacher at my high school. And then I was formally mentored all through college by an university staff worker. And she always said that, hey, this semester, would you like to meet? And it wasn't an assumption that we would meet the next semester. Well, it's funny, you know, both of them I'm still in touch with 30 years later. In fact, one came to an event I was doing just recently, and we had such a lovely time. I feel like I could turn to either of them at any point. However, we don't meet weekly still, you know, I mean, but that, but that, those years of meeting together, but one was completely informal. One was very formal. Um, those built relationship that I can go back to at any time. And, you know, and, and it's a beautiful thing, but it, it definitely, all of them had start dates and end dates. And I think that's Okay, I guess as well, it would be good not to be exclusive. Over a lifetime, you have a variety of mentors to get different perspectives. Yes, yes. I think that's really good. I mean, one of the women, and again, this was a completely informal mentor. Um, I noticed in my church, her children just seemed to all get along together and they still love their parents, you know, during the teen years. And I would get in the car with her, like going to a retreat or whatever. And I'd be like, can I ask you mothering questions? What did you do? And I would just, you know, ask her all those, those type questions. And so I think, um, it's going to take different shapes in different seasons and that's totally okay. okay. Let's kind of move on connected, but, um, a little bit broader, I, I belong to the Free Church of Scotland and we've got kind of strap line just now. It's a healthy gospel church for every community in Scotland. And I know, again, that your passion is for the local church. You're big in that in your own church. The Gospel Coalition's big in that. Um, what, how would you define a healthy church? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think a healthy church is one where every member is being built up in the faith and using their gifts to serve one another in love. So that there, you know, there's this, every member is being built up through the word preached, you know, through the word lived. Um, and then they're they're able to serve others in love on a regular basis. And I, I just think that's the simplicity and beauty of a healthy church. Mm -hmm. Great, great, great answer. Um, moving back to mentoring, back and at the same time out, um, in a mentoring situation, would you pray with the person? We'll, we'll, we'll do this question in two halves. So that, that's the first thing. Talk a little bit about the the place of prayer in a mentoring relationship. Yeah, I think it's great. Uh, I, I think there's so much that's learned through praying with one another. Um, and it's such an act of... Um, just service and love. I mean, it means a lot to me, even when someone says, Hey, you know, I, I was thinking about what we were talking about last week and I'm praying for you. So one to be, to be a good mentor, I think you, you commit to praying for that person regularly, um, throughout the time you're meeting. But I also think praying with them is, is a wonderful thing. And there was a woman, we, our mentoring was we would walk together. So we'd walk for about three miles. And then at the end, I would always say, okay, let, let me pray for what is going on in your life. And, and that's just a kind way we model that, um, what I think that models is 
I can't solve what's going on in your life, but we know the one who can change everything. And so we're going to take all this that we've just talked about and we're going to take it to him and ask him to do immeasurably more than we can imagine. You know, and so that's what I think we're modeling in that, that yeah, it's good to have someone to talk to, but the best person we can talk to about this is the Lord. And so let's take it to him. So yes, I think it's 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 a really important part of the mentoring relationship. Okay, well, let's extend that. I mean, in, in the UK and Scotland especially, the, the traditional model of church was, you know, twice on a Sunday morning and evening and Wednesday prayer meeting. So, you know, the prayer meeting was big and, uh, you know, the, the sign of a healthy church is, is a big prayer meeting. C.H. Spurgeon is often quoted that it's the uh, boiler room of the church. Now, absolutely, that that that's great. Um, uh, in the US, maybe midweek, Corporate prayer meetings aren't as big, but that's not not my point. My point is, it's great having a prayer meeting, but how can how can we go beyond that and have a prayer culture in a church? Just getting your folk praying for one another. You've touched on one element here in mentoring. Can you give us other perspectives here? Yeah, I think the more that we just do that spontaneous prayer with one another, it does create that culture in our church. Um, I feel like I really have this with my group that I work with. We actually live all over the country, um, but we have this phone app called Voxer that we talk to one another each on all day long. So it feels like you're in the room with someone, but we regularly stop and pray for one another because we're sharing our lives as well as our jobs. And um, the culture really really is, hey, we're going we're gonna to pray for each other and we're going to do it right now. We're not going to say, I'm going to pray for you. We're actually just going to right now go in prayer. And, you know, it takes like three minutes, <laughs> four minutes, if, maybe five minutes if you're a really good prayer. I don't know. But I mean, it takes, and it's such a way to love one another. Um, it's, it's to me, it's really perhaps, and I don't, I, I say this, as an American, like the pride of the American church is that we are not more prayerful um, because we we think it's up to us rather than it's up to the Lord. And I think we spend all this time fighting on social media because we're not very busy praying. And so I, th- I think um, the church desperately needs to be yeah, to be a praying church, and 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 it's to our shame that we're not. Um, and it's really a sign of spiritual pride because um, we think we can do it. So why bother to pray? Whereas when we really understand our our own need, we're on our knees because we recognize, you know, but by His Spirit, we labor in vain. Yeah. Okay. Uh, just a, a couple more. Maybe I don't know. They could be controversial. They they be. Um, you and I come from a theological stable that's complementarian as opposed to egalitarian. Uh, there's been a lot of talk the, these days about complementarianism. Um, can you know, I, I, as a woman in ministry, a legitimate woman, women's ministry, what, what does a healthy complementarianism look like? Yeah, I think it really. Um looks like that beautiful picture of the body that we see in multiple places in scripture, you know, um, that picture of we are all needed and necessary. Um, yes, we serve in different functions, but the body doesn't work without everyone. And I'm, I am, I'm, I'm somewhat concerned, you know, as you see the discussion, um, but it's, it's, it's less the discussion that's happening 
you know, in, in big spheres and more what I hear constantly from women. I actually, my husband just um, two weeks ago gave a gave a talk on the importance of women in the local church. Um, and it was to a TGC group. And what really saddened me the most was how many women came up to me and said, I have never heard from a pastor that I am needed and necessary, not just allowed. Amen. So a lot of women are ministering and giving their lives, serving for free in the church. Yeah, I mean, like, like doing amazing things, and they feel allowed, but they don't feel needed and necessary. And so just to have... Um, you know, a pastor and a professor stand up and say, no, the, the, the body, if half of the body didn't work, we would all feel it, right? Like if half of the body was, you know, if half of my body, I basically said, you're allowed to be here, but you're not really necessary and needed. Um, that's not really a, a, a good thing for, for that part of my body versus no, every part needs to be functioning properly for the whole body to work well together. And so I think more of a celebration of that could always be embraced in our complementarian circles. Um, and, and at this point, you know, it's it's actually kind of an interesting discussion in some ways, because if you want to be in a non-complement church, there are tons of them. So the women I know, none of them want to be pastors. None of them want to be elders. That's not they they've chosen churches because they're convictionally complementarian. I think the only thing they sometimes feel worn out about is that they there's an air of suspicion. Um, like, whoa, you know, if you're too involved in this, maybe you want to be a pastor. And they're like, I-, I could go over to that denomination and be a pastor if I wanted to. So they're not, they're quite happy complementarians. Um, but sometimes it just, it, they, they would perhaps just like to feel really needed and necessary versus allowed. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I always get frustrated about the thin end of the wedge argument, and you know, it wears me down and kind of. Uh, you know, as, as a man, complementarianism, which is really uh, another word for heavy-handed patriarchal dominance. You know, I find it really ugly. I, I had a, an amazing experience a few weeks ago at the, the PCA General Assembly in, in, in Memphis. So I, I'm in the exhibition hall. And there's a woman comes through the exhibition hall and she says, folks, we've got to go in 10 minutes. We're, we're closing the place down. And one of the guys says, excuse me, I will not take orders from a woman. And I just, I'd never heard that in my entire life. And I, if I was that, that woman, because I'm not very spiritual, I would have locked the guy up and he can get himself out at two in the morning. You, you know, that that to me was a shock, that there are actually guys who mm. believe that. And to me, that's that's mm. abusive. Mm. That's that's definitely an unfortunate. I, w- I was thinking, surely you're going to tell me he was yeah, joking, yeah. right? That's what I said. I, and, I uh, thought um, you're, you're joking, but no. Uh, I mean, okay, that, yeah. that, 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 that's, that's wow. off my chest. You know, that, that's me. That, that's, that's me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those are the things I think um, I've been so blessed to work with so many wonderful guys. And like, I love the guys I work with at TGC, you know, who have what I call, consider healthy complementarity. Um, but I've the more I travel, the more I hear from women's stories just like that, where where they, um, they, they just, 
it's just an uncomfortable thing. And, and what concerns me is you would never hear that at a local business, you know. And so the church should honor the worth and dignity of both men and women better than the world. And so if the world is doing it better, honoring the dignity of women, I think we've got a problem if, if that in, in those situations, you know. Um, and so that's always my concern. We definitely want to model Hey, yeah, we 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 value each member, um, and definitely, I think closing down a bookstore is, is not a, an authoritarian yeah, position. Yeah, yeah, uh, I don't uh, think. For, <laughs> for, just, for the record, it. it wasn't a bookstore. <laughs> the, the exhibition had lots of things in it, so I don't want to identify the culprit. But it, it wasn't a bookstore; yeah. it, it was something <laughs> else. Uh, mentoring yeah. involves relationship. Um, you know, I was reading your story. I know that you came to faith through uh, FCA, Fellowship of Christian uh, Athletes. Here is, here's a really tough question, Melissa, that I always wanted to ask someone, you know, from that. What, what's the difference between witnessing and evangelism and, and manipulation, especially when we're dealing with younger people? And can uh, mentoring be manipulative, that's a good question. I think anything can be manipulative. Um, yeah, evangelism can be manipulative, especially if it's if it's centered on getting a following by the person doing the evangelism, or maybe the person wanting to be able to say thirty people came to the Lord this week. Yeah, if it's about the the individual. Um, yes, there can for sure be manipulation. And then even perhaps creating an environment of manipulation to get people to get followers or to get um, people to like you. And so obviously the goal of evangelism should be introducing people to Jesus. The goal of mentoring should be continually, let let, let me introduce you to Jesus a little more. Um, it's discipleship. I mean, discipleship encompasses both Introducing someone for the first time to Jesus through evangelism and continuing teaching him all that that Jesus commanded. Um, and so, if the if the goal is let me introduce you to Jesus, I think that's going to be um, honest and true. If the goal is follow me because I'm great. Um, I would be really concerned. And, it, and it's hard to discern the difference. And this is why we see cults form. I mean, you know, you see you see horrible things happen in the name of following Jesus, but it's really about the individual. And so I, I think spirituality can be definitely used as manipulative and it has terrible effects. And it often has terrible effects on women and children. Um, that's what you see with mo- most cults. I mean, there there's, tends to be a really bad aspect to that. Um, and so I, this is where I always say we, we have to be constantly training people in the word so that they can discern fact from fiction and truth from error. Um, you know, yes, we want to follow good leaders, but we have to actually be able to discern what is a good leader. And so, so we, we want, we need good shepherds in the church, but we also need to be able to recognize bad ones. Um, and so there are, there are definitely those who can, can manipulate and, and, you know, it's always, it's always interesting with youth and, and somewhat concerning because we're often putting, you know, a 22 or 23 year old in charge of the youth group. And so you're putting someone who is maybe spiritually immature, most likely spiritually immature in charge of, you know, 
15 and 16 year olds. And that's that's something to think about in our churches. Maybe we should have more mature people um, running those groups. And, you know, and that's complicated because you get to be 50 and you're like, I don't have energy for that. Um, so it's, it's tough, right? Uh, I understand the issues, but I think it's something that we need to be very aware of what's happening in mentoring, especially with young people um, as we're forming groups for teenagers and things. I think it really is important. We'll end with what possibly should have been the first question. The book, um, Taking Mentoring Beyond Small Talk, why why did you write it? What kind of sparked it off? Yeah, I, it was years. I spent 10 years doing women's ministry in the local church, and it was this um, constant question from both the younger women in our church and the older women. How can we walk together? I don't know. The older women would say, I don't know what to do. And the younger women would say, I desperately need help. And so for me, writing this book was a way um, to um, provide a model because and to work myself out of a job because often because I had been mentored well I actually knew how to mentor you know and and I I I was so thankful for that but I couldn't mentor everyone you know and so I needed I needed to equip the older women so that even though they hadn't been mentored to to be able to mentor the younger women. And so this book really came out of that and it was a whole program we set up in our church and really um was beautiful to watch year after year, life after life, you know, and and we would set up groups. There would be one older woman to four younger women because we didn't have a lot of older women in our church. And that actually kept them more focused on spiritual growth rather than individual circumstances. And so I think there's a lot of different ways mentoring can look um, and discipleship can look, but it, it that's where it came out of. It's just understanding that these older women had much to give these younger women and that there was a blessing that happened to both when we walked together with the what Lord. What kind of um, prompts you to write? Is it, is it maybe, you know, folk have asked you to speak in a series of things, you say, oh, there might, might be a book in that or like what you're doing in parenting just now? Um, at this point, um, it's like, what am I willing to make myself completely miserable to write? Because <laughs> writing's so yeah. difficult. You're I know so now. Well. Yeah. I know now. Um, no, what is it? What is worth pouring my heart into? And you know, I watch the teen years, and I realized I, I had majored in secondary education and mathematics, and so. I actually had been trained to work with teenagers, and I realized how hopeful some of the things I learned in university were in the parenting realm. How do I combine spiritual truths with these, you know, modern day researchers and what they're learning about teenage development? How can I combine the fact that, you know, hey, biologically, your teenager actually needs more sleep than you do. They're not just lazy, like helping parents understand biology, like what's going on so that then they parent differently. But, you know, how do we parent graciously and all these different things? So combining those, but it has to be a topic at this point that I really don't see a book on. So I don't, I don't see a book on mentoring that helps people do this. And so, um, that's why I wrote it. I would rather someone else write it. <laughs> and so, but there wasn't one. And so, and the same actually on parenting teens, there are a lot of books on parenting young kids. 
but um, I couldn't find another book by by a woman on really walking with teens from from a mother per, motherhood perspective, and so that's why I wanted to work on it. Um, but it is always painful and laborious and you sit at a computer by yourself and you wonder, is it worth it? And will this help anyone? And so it has to be something um, that I really feel the Lord is calling me to do and and um, to, to make it worth kind of shutting your life off for a little while. From, yeah, absolutely. From I mean, and I guess that, you know, a teen today is a different animal than it was in your generation, your one generation below me. You, you know, a, a teen today with social media and you know that the environment is just literally a di- from from a different universe to even you know your generation and certainly my generation. Yeah, yeah, they're dealing with things. I mean, the statistics are not good with social media. I believe one day, um, just like cigarettes have a Surgeon General's warning label on them, I believe social media will have a warning label on it for teens because um, teens biologically get more addicted to substances quickly. That's why it's really bad when a teen starts abusing alcohol because it's actually harder for them their whole life to rid themselves of that addiction because of pathways in the brain. And so that those realities are true of social media as well. And the the rates of depression and isolation and loneliness have skyrocketed among teens precisely from the date that the cell phone became ubiquitous, the smartphone became ubiquitous. So you have this, the data is just, is not good. And so we've got to learn how to parent in that new environment. Melissa, this is the seed for another podcast. Next next series, you know, you've got to come back. (laughs) Melissa, thank you so much for giving so generously of your time. Um, I know that the book was written a few years ago, but Taking Mentoring Beyond Small Talk and Prayer Request uh, by Melissa Kruger. Get it. It's still in print. Read it. And all over Scotland would, you know, jump into the mentoring water. Um, It'll benefit you, the mentee. It'll benefit the, the mentor. Melissa, thank you so much for giving us your time. Thanks for having me. Folks uh, still there in the Healthy Gospel Church, thank you for being with us uh, during this series of the Healthy Gospel Church podcast. Join us again next week for another exciting episode with another interesting guest. Thank you and have a great day. Mm-hmm.